words I speak and the words we hear be your words of life to us, our God. Amen. I'm not sure which of those readings you would have been thinking about. I was thinking about, partly because I knew the sermon was about it, but also it's quite a hard story, that first reading which Brenda read so well, uh, from Genesis. The story we call the sacrifice of Isaac and Jews call the binding of Isaac. And I have to say that uh, earlier in the week that when I wrote the theme for the pew sheet, I thought, well, I've dealt with that horrible story because it is a horrible story and I won't have to deal with it on Sunday, so that's all good. I'll preach about the gospel. But actually, as the week went on, I thought, actually, it just is too hard and too horrible a story. And in many ways, it's too important a story. We need to address it. It is a hard story. It seems to offer a picture of a God who demands the death of a son. And that's not the God that any of us would want to follow. And it pictures Abraham as the kind of monster that would actually do that, that would sacrifice his son in obedience to that God. And that's not the kind of person we would want to call our father. And yet Abraham is seen as father and this is the God we follow. So maybe, maybe we do need to pay a bit of attention to it. To do that, I think we first of all need to note that Abraham is a significant figure in all three of the great monotheistic faiths. So clearly we know that through Isaac, uh, Abraham is the father of Judaism. All Jews trace their ancestry back to him. And through Judaism and through Christ, we trace our ancestry back to Abraham as well. But Abraham is also the father of all Muslims. The Muslims teach that when Hagar and Ishmael were sent away by Sarah, Abraham still loved his son. And certainly our scriptures make that clear, that Abraham still loved Ishmael. And it's quite interesting that uh, even Jewish stories make that quite clear as well. And so they understand that uh, in defiance of his wife, Abraham spent half the year with Ishmael and half the year with Isaac. And he taught both sons about the one God and about the true worship of the one God and what it meant to live in obedience to the one God. And all Muhammad did, the prophet, was restore that practice and that faith amongst the descendants of Ishmael. So, whether we want to agree with that or not, Abraham is the father of all three faiths. And this particular story plays an important role in all three faiths. The story is set in Mount Moriah. Jews understand Mount Moriah to be Temple Mount, the site of the temple. And Muslims understand it to be Haram al-Sharif, the noble sanctuary. The story establishes that place, that hill in Jerusalem, as a holy, sacred place, a wahitapu. 
And for Jews and Muslims, the sacrifice of the ram is seen as a precursor and the kind of ground on which all the temple, temple sacrifices happened. Because Isaac, because Isaac, because Abraham sacrificed the ram at that place, that was the place that the sacrificial rites were to be performed. And if we were allowed to go into the Dome of the Rock on Haram al-Sharif, we would see a rock in the centre of that dome, which is said by Muslims to be the rock on which Abraham built the pyre and sacrificed the ram. So it is an important place, a sacred place, a holy place. And even for us Christians, this story and that place are seen as important. From very early on, the story was understood as somehow pointing to and resonating with the ultimate sacrifice that happened in that place, that of Christ dying on the cross. The early Christians saw this as no mistake, no coincidence that Abraham took Isaac to that place and Jesus, the son, was eventually led to that place to be crucified. The two stories were linked. One was a precursor to the other. One resonated with the other. And so, for nearly as long as Christians have gathered on Good Friday, this story has been read. The two are linked. Abraham as well was seen by early Christians, and we can read this in the letter to the Hebrews, Hebrews 11, as an example of the kind of faith that we should have and the kind of faith that sets us free. A faith against all odds. And for some Christians down the centuries, Abraham offers, Abraham offers in his grief and his angst and his love, he offers us a glimpse into the Godhead, into the grief and the angst and the love that the Godhead experienced as Jesus came among us to dwell among us and to die on a cross for us, however we understand that. So this is an important story. And Muslims and Jews and Christians have wrestled with the story for as long as the story has been around. It is not a story that we can simply dismiss. It is also an old story. We kind of think that everyone had the same understanding of God that we have. But in fact, we can see in the story that the writers were still struggling, trying to understand who God was and how one might understand God. And the God in this story is not an all-knowing, omniscient God. The God in this story does not know, does not know Abraham that well. Despite Abraham's faith up to this point, despite Abraham leaving his family and his certainty and taking his small little group and travelling to an unknown land because God commanded him to do that, God still has doubts. Is Abraham 
really the one on which God's blessing to all humanity can be poured? Is he up to the task? Is he adequate? And so God tests Abraham with all that that word means. Abraham is assessed. Abraham is tested as gold is tested through fire to ascertain the level of purity. And so the level of Abraham's faith is ascertained, assessed. It's difficult to imagine what Abraham and Isaac would have been going through on that walk to Mount Moriah. It's clearly they walked in silence. And so they would have been shrouded in that silence, filled with doubt, filled with anger and trust and hope. Abraham grieving his son, which our tradition describes as his only son, although there are a few Jewish stories around which do acknowledge that Ishmael is also a son. Abraham grieving the end of the promise, for in this son is the promise that he will be a father to nations. If this son dies, this promise dies. And so does his name. Grieving the end of his faith, maybe. You have to wonder what Abraham would have done if God had actually allowed Isaac to die. Abraham, angry with God at this outrageous demand. After all he, Abraham, had gone through, and yet God wanted even this. And yet despite the grieving and the angst and the anger, he still trusts and hopes. And Isaac, well, he clearly thinks that something is wrong here. And so he would have been walking in silence with so much doubt and wonder. Wondering, has his father gone mad? Has this God gone mad? Carrying the wood on his back on which he was to be laid. And yet, he carries that wood in obedience. Just as his father commands. Like his father. Trusting hoping that a lamb will be provided. This is a horrific story, but it's also a story about faith and hope. I think too often we see faith as quite an easy thing. All we have to do is have faith and it'll be okay. But in this story we see just how hard faith can be. How faith can be and is often entwined with all those emotions and more. It is a hard thing to cleave to the eternal high God. But in doing so, 
Abraham's faith is affirmed. His hope is affirmed. And the name of the place became the Lord shall provide. And there is a good and happy ending to the story. But not all faith stories end so nicely. Over the last, well, many thousand years, there have been others who have lived with the same faith. That despite all the evidence, they have had hope and faith in God. Clearly my favourite is St Francis of Assisi, who I managed to sneak into a lot of sermons. Who gave away everything. Family, friends, his dreams of being a wonderful knight saving damsels in distress. Even his future that his father planned for him that he wasn't that enthusiastic about, but at least it was a future and a certain future. He gave all that away and embraced a hard life of faith. A hard life that he called perfect joy. We can see that same faith in the lives of people like Mother Teresa, who lived for 50 years in the deepest dark night of the soul imaginable, with not a single experience of God or God's love, doubting, for that entire 50 years. And yet each day she continued to faithfully give life to the poorest of India in the name of that God that she doubted. People like Dorothy Day, who once converted to Catholicism, lived her life among the poor and the abandoned of New York and helped establish the Catholic worker movement. At great risk risk to her life, one of my friends, uh, an Anglican, became part of the Catholic worker movement in uh, the Lower East Side of of Manhattan. And uh, a friend, Dorothy Booker, went to stay with her when that part of Manhattan was pretty dodgy. And when they went home, she walked past her front door of her apartment building just to make sure there was no one around. She said it was too dangerous to actually walk into your apartment if people were close by. This is the kind of place these people lived in. People like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, that brilliant German theologian who so easily could have watched the events of World War II from the safety of New York as a lecturer at Union Theological Seminary, but instead chose to return home to work in the resistance and opposition to Hitler knowing that he was already on the watch list of the Gestapo and that he probably would be arrested. But unless he did that, he could play no part in rebuilding Germany after it was all over. And because of that decision was hung days before the war ended. And here, in this place, Henry Wiramu Taratoa, who could so easily have stayed in the safety of the mission school at Otaki, where he was a teacher, but instead chose to come home to his whanau to help them take up the arms they had put down when they had embraced Christianity and to stand with them to protect their land, their mana, their way of life. And in the midst of all of that, still struggling to find ways to limit the death and the bloodshed for both sides. These are just a few. A few 
of those who have had faith and hope despite all the evidence. People like Abraham who show us the hard life faith leads us to live. Faith that hopes despite the evidence. So on my notes I have a very cool ending to that sermon. Well, I'll put it down. Uh, over the last uh, last weekend and uh, on Friday, I've been to Diakono, it was a couple of weekends ago, uh, the Electoral Synod, and then we had a clergy day. And I was reflecting about that in light of this reading uh, yesterday. And I had another meeting yesterday where we had kind of again touched on the same things. And I was reflecting on one of the common mantras in our diocese is that our parishes are getting older and they're getting smaller, and they're getting tireder. And there is this kind of feeling of doom about, I would have to say. And one of my fears for our new bishop is that he will be the Messiah, he's young, and he will save us. Praise the Lord. (coughs) And he's not going to save us. I guess my reflection, I have two reflections. The first is I'm really thankful I'm at St George's because I don't feel like we're getting smaller because actually at the moment statistics say we're not getting smaller and we're not getting greyer. We're pretty grey. I can't deny that. I got quite a bit of grey and I was told to shave because I was way too grey so that's why my head remains pretty bald. But despite that, there's not that pall of doubt and doom about this place. There is actually a bit of life. And it seems to me that one of the things that this reading invites us to is, despite the evidence, despite the fact that our numbers are getting smaller, except we're not, and despite that we seem to be getting older, we are to have faith and hope, just as Abraham had faith and hope. And we could give up, as it feels like some of those places are doing. They've kind of laid down and said, the end is nigh. Or we could follow Abraham's example, who could so easily have said, the end is nigh. This is a ridiculous thing. I'm out. Which is probably what a sensible person would have done. Or we can have hope. And we can hang on to the name that was given to Mount Moriah. The Lord will provide. Now I don't know what the future will hold. But I know that the future is in God's hands. And that the Lord will provide. And I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to all that God will do in this place in the future. We could lie down. We could be filled with doom and despair, or we could be a people of faith and hope. Today I hope that we embrace that faith and hope. It's not an easy faith. It's not an easy hope. Abraham shows us that. All those others show us that. But I think it is the way that we are called to live our lives at this point. Being people of faith and hope. So I invite us to sit for a moment and reflect on that and then uh, Lauren will lead us in the next piece of the, of the service, which is a creed.